Hey guys, Dane here with the Darkroom Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. In today's episode, I chat with Thomas Heaton. Thomas is a landscape photographer and YouTuber living in the UK, where he has over 300,000 subscribers and delivers weekly content that will get you inspired and teach you a few things along the way. Thomas and I get into his life before landscape photography and photography in general, making the transition to full-time creator and some of the best ways to invest your time and money to become a successful photographer. I reach out to him, say, hey, you can see his website at thomasheaton.co.uk. I always wonder if they say, do they say co.uk? Do I sound like a super dweeb saying co.uk? But uh, yeah, Thomas Heaton, and that's H-E-A, T-O-N, so thomasheaton.co.uk to see Thomas's work. And you can find him on YouTube at Thomas Heaton and Instagram as well. All right, guys, without further ado, here is a conversation with Thomas Heaton. Welcome to the Dark Room Podcast, where you'll get to hear from the best full-time creators on the planet. From starting out to where they are now and everywhere in between. Welcome to the dark room. Well, Thomas Heaton, thank you so much for chatting with me, man. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah. So dig, digging in real quick uh, and going into your website and looking around a little bit more before this, I found it very interesting that in your about me section, you talk about kind of being an introvert and kind of self-conscious. And I think that that's so wild because you would never... You would never know that from from watching your videos or, or seeing you speak. So, like, where where does that balance come in? How do you turn on the switch? Oh, it's easy. So, um, <laughs> so you you must you must obviously you use the shower. I'm sure. <laughs> so when when I'm in the shower, uh, I'm I you know I'm the world's worst singer. I, I can't sing. It's, it's ridiculous. When I sing, it sounds like I'm purposefully trying to sing badly. Um, so when I'm in the shower. I sing like crazy loud and it's awful and it's terrible. Um, but I'm in the shower. Nobody can hear me. Nobody can see me. So it's fine. And it's kind of the same when I record a video. I'm most of the time I'm out in the middle of nowhere with my camera. Um, so when I talk to my camera, it's the same as when I sing in the shower. There's no inhibitions. There's, you know, there's, I'm not nervous. I'm not self-conscious. So I really open up and, and talk to the camera. And I'm very much aware that on the back of my camera, I have a delete button. Um, so <laughs> I don't, you know, if I started to think about and try to quantify the amount of people who may well be watching the video, or if I imagine all of these people behind their camera, um, it'd be terrifying, it'd be awful. And I would be very self-conscious about what I'm saying and what I'm doing, but because I'm out by myself and, you know, I just hit that record button and I don't care if I mess up, I just delete the footage and re-record. So yeah, it's, um, it takes a bit of getting used to when I first started, but ultimately it's, yeah, it's, it's just because I'm, I'm by myself and yeah. over the years I've managed to get used to it uh, to the point where I can pretty much do it in front of people now, which is, uh, was always difficult in the past. That is such a cool way to put it because you know, it is, it is not easy to, uh, to stare in a lens, especially when you kind of, you know, grow up behind the camera and then all of a sudden you're turning it around and, and speaking to it, but you, you really do have such a, 
such a charismatic way about you and your videos and your style. And I think that, you know, that's what, that's what I really gravitated towards in the beginning was it just kind of felt like, you know, like you're just a, you were just a dude, like a really cool dude on the other end, uh, with these amazing photography tips. How, how has that transition been from starting the YouTube channel to now? Oh yeah. I mean, the, the transition's incredible. It's uh, it's quite literally changed my life. Um, it's it's crazy how these things work. So like four years ago, um, I you know I was I was a typical photographer. You know, frustrated. I would share an image on Facebook or on Flickr and maybe get twenty or thirty likes and a couple of comments and and it was frustrating. So I was really proud of my work. Um, Fast forward four years, which really is nothing. It's like, that is no time. Um, fast forward four years now, I get recognized in the street. I'm writing articles for magazines. I'm being paid to go on TV for the BBC. Um, uh, you know, I, my images and videos get hundreds of thousands of views. Um, and yeah, it's all because I opened up on YouTube and started sharing the story behind my images rather than just sharing the image itself. And that seems to be a winning formula. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely figured it out. So let's say if you're at a, if you're at a cocktail party or just a party, I don't know why I said cocktail, but if you're at a party and if someone asks you what you do, how would you, how would you explain <laughs> what you do as, oh, a, no. as a creative? That's the worst question. Ever. <laughs> I hate that question. It's so funny because whenever I go home for Christmas, for example, I, you know, I see all my friends and family who yeah. I haven't seen for years um, or friends I haven't seen for years and family members like my granddad, who's nearly 90 years old. And he, yeah, he'll ask me what I'm doing and how my job's going. I bless him. I still, he still thinks I work in a supermarket, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so it, I, I just say I'm a photographer. It's that simple. I, I hate going in depth into discussion with generally, you know, it's fine talking to other creators about it. Um, but you know, I recently moved house and all the neighbors come over and introduce themselves and, uh, we, we have to go for dinner next week with all of the neighbors, which is crazy. Um, it's, it's just one of those streets. Yeah. That's cool though. <laughs> I like that. Um, it's cool. I'm, I know for a fact they're all going to want to know what I do for a job. Yeah. So, um, I'll just say I'm a I'm a landscape photographer, and you know I, I do a lot of travel work and landscapes and uh, occasional commissions for magazines, etc. But I never ever mention YouTube. I never talk about the video side of things because I still very much see myself as a photographer. Um, even though you know I, I'm not stupid, I know that it's the YouTube channel that is the core of my success. So, but it's it's all it, everything I do gravitates around photography. So it's like the chicken and the egg situation. You know, if it wasn't for the photography, I wouldn't have a YouTube channel, but if I didn't have a YouTube channel, I wouldn't be a full-time landscape photographer. So, um, I always say I am a landscape and travel photographer. And then if people keep on, you know, plugging at me and prodding me, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell them, I'll tell them I would, have sponsorships and I work for brands, etc. But I very rarely mention YouTube. So I see it more as a way of marketing my photography than I do as it being my job. Yeah. And it's it's interesting too, just how how hand in hand 
you know, being a creative, how, how hand in hand things really need to be right. Like the photography leads to this, which leads to YouTube, which, which leads to a lot of the income, which leads to more trips and travel, which leads to brand seeing you like, it just kind of like snowballs and it's, it's all in one when it, it really is like three or four different things. Uh, when did you first pick up a camera? Uh, oh, I was 16. So many, many years ago, gosh, 18 years ago. Um, so it was just at college, you know, I did a media, I did media production at college and it was all about video and television. Um, and then, uh, I had to do a, um, uh, oh, I forgot the name of it now, a side course, a, a module, had to do a module, which basically meant I had to specialize in something very niche. Um, and I saw that you could specialize in photography, I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. So I uh, signed up for that module, got accepted, and we started to learn photography with film cameras, and there was a dark room, um, and I've never looked back since. It was amazing taking my first, shooting my first roll of film, and then being taught how to develop it in the dark room, process it um, all the way through to printing it. Um, all analog, no digital at all. Not even the, even the printing wasn't digital. That was analog as well. Um, and yeah, just to see an image come to life. I mean, they were terrible, but, but <laughs> what kind of pictures the, uh, were you taking in the very beginning? Oh my God. Probably like what all photographers, when they first start out, obviously I didn't know what I wanted to photograph. I just wanted to capture things. So I, I have a memory of getting a macro lens for the first time. And I have like pulling the loose skin between my finger and thumb, pulling the skin over a small torch so you could see all of the veins and the tissue yeah. and then macro like you just photograph anything because <laughs> it's just this crazy world that's opened up. Um, and yeah. And so, you know, it takes a long time before you start to find your path and uh, start leaning more towards one particular genre. But yeah, when you first get a camera, God, you shoot everything. Yeah, all the time. So, so when you when you had a camera in your hand and you started shooting more, did that guide you to study? No, very much growing up, I wanted to be in the television industry. Um, so I never studied photography; it was always just a hobby. Um, everything, pretty much, apart from the darkroom stuff and the initial kind of uh, learning when I was sixteen. You know, the initial kind of exposure triangle and developing film. Um, everything from that point onwards is just self-taught and you just learn through going out and doing I think if you're passionate about wanting to do something then you just learn as you go what were you um, interested in in the television world oh I don't know it's quite funny I think I just wanted I wanted to work um, as a nature photographer nature videographer so I wanted to work on Attenborough shows BBC Earth Earth, BBC, Blue Planet, anything outdoors. I wanted to travel. I wanted, didn't want to work in an office. I wanted to work in the outdoors and have adventures and somehow make that my job. Of course, it never happened, even though I truly believed it would. Well, I'm saying that it did. It's happening now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but growing up, you know, it never happened. So I wanted to be a cameraman and um, go on expeditions and document films. And and you you ended up doing a lot of video technician work, right? Yeah, I was a video technician for. A corporate company so uh i would go out and make short films and documentaries which would be played at events or sometimes played on tv i would do live camera relay um i would do live football for television as well oh, wow. so yeah just uh, but it was you know it wasn't 
very creative. You very much had to stick to a brief and, um, it was, it was, yeah, you know, it had to be technically skilled, um, and rather than being creative minded. So, um, I didn't particularly enjoy it that much. Yeah, actually, that is kind of similar to to the trajectory that that I did recently. I was working for a big corporate company a couple of years ago, and I was doing videos as well that would be played at events and and you know like annual giant meetings and all that. And I found that although it is one of those gigs where you know you aren't really pushing your creative boundaries, it kind of sets up the structure for how you can use your creativity with brands and new clients and, and, and projects going forward. Yeah, of course. It's, what I found is it taught me how to make a good video. You know, it taught me all about um, composition and editing and having the A roll and the B roll and how to set up lighting and sound and record everything. Um, and then once you, once you break away from that industry and you start doing something more creative for yourself, you can apply all of the stuff that you've learned in the job that didn't necessarily give you that creative freedom and then you just throw into the technical mix your creative flair and the stuff that you really want to shoot put the two and two together and you get uh, quite a nice product at the end of it yeah do you remember the moment where you really wanted to make that jump to a full-time creator from that position no no i'm very I'm very um what's the word um i'm, I'm very cautious yeah. so um you know it wasn't like start a YouTube channel and then, okay, let's make this into a full-time job. Very, no, no, I was, uh, I did it purely for fun because I couldn't find what I was looking for on YouTube. So I thought I'd make my own video with my iPhone of all things. Um, just, just purely for fun. And then you make another one and another one and another one. And yeah, I think I was 20,000 subscribers in before I even knew that you could monetize your video content. I just didn't know oh, wow. that you can on a taxi YouTube channel. Yeah, I'm uh, not very good at social media. So I uh somebody says you should monetize your videos. And I was like, what I thought I thought the ads were just put on by YouTube. I didn't know the creator was in charge of that. So that was quite uh, an eye opener. So you know, slowly but surely the years passed by and I started to realise that the income or the potential income should I say um could easily outweigh my current income, which was from a, another business I was working at. Um, and then I think, okay, so if I can make this much per month consistently for three months, then I will go full time. And by going full time, it will open up many more opportunities, thus have more potential to earn even more money um, and be able to live sustainably as a creator, which isn't easy. Um, so yeah, <laughs> a very gradual decision from the first spark of oh could i do this full time yeah to actually going full time was about i would say more than a year yeah that's interesting because i feel like you know there's two different types that do it there's the i did it that same way as well like i i eased into it and i, I kind of waited until the the creative jobs and gigs pulled me away completely to where it could be a safe jump and then there's the types that have just cut it completely off and said, you know what? I'm starting tomorrow. I'm going to start next week, like quitting the job and I'm, I'm doing that. And I, you know, it's, there's, there's two ways, there's, there's two ways to make it work. Yeah. Though, you there know? are two ways of doing it. It's uh, I see, I see uh, creators coming up from both channels, like people like me who do it very, very slowly as a hobby and then realize the potential and then slowly, you know, but I, th I think the way I did it meant I built up a good foundation of, um, 
I don't like a foundation of how to make videos. I know it sounds silly, but I make videos that I want to make. Whereas I think the other way around, if I was to go, right, I'm going to start a food YouTube channel tomorrow and it's going to be an additional income for me. What I would start doing would be I'd make YouTube videos that I think will make money and I think will get the views and I'll start strategizing and taking on brand deals. And I think ultimately the YouTube channel would not be a success because there wouldn't be this passion and, and this doing it for the love of the art and rather I'd be doing it for the money and trying to make it a business. So I think it's a fine line um, between chasing the money and just doing what you love. And if you can get that foundation of doing what you love that is also successful um, financially, then that seems to be a winning combination. And I'm just not sure you get that if you dive straight into it as a business. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm very cynical. You know? <laughs> I see some YouTube channels and I think this guy's just doing this to make money. Look at his titles, clickbait, and, you know, very disingenuous video content that's designed purely to get views. And then I see the other side where people are so passionate and they're, 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 they're falling over on camera or dropping stuff and they leave it in. And, and you know, there's, there's this this there's two sides to it, I think. And for me, I always go for the underdog and the person that really cares about what they're making. And it seems that they don't do it for the views. They just do it for the love of it. Yeah. And it, it shows in your work completely. And w when did, uh, when did the landscape photography, you know, really, really become the passion in photography for you? Um, probably, um, I bought a, Ooh, well, landscapes specifically. Oh, I don't know. I bought a, I bought a Canon 7D um, actually to shoot some video with. This was years and years and years ago when it first came out. Yeah. And um, I remember, I remember, I was, um, I think I was going, I was going hiking or I was going away with some friends, um, and I'd always taken shots on smaller compact cameras and and. Uh, yeah, it was probably around about my mid, whenever the kind of 7D came out, I can't yeah. remember. But I just remember this this moment of just going out and shooting some video. Um, and it was a beautiful, beautifully cold, frozen morning. And um, I remember hardly shooting any video and, and shooting images because the, um, uh, the conditions were so unusual for where I live or where I was at the time. Um, and... Yeah, it's really hard to pinpoint. It's a difficult question, but, you know, because landscapes has always been a part of my photography. But to say when, you know, when I exclusively just decided to focus on landscapes, yeah, I don't know, maybe maybe <laughs> 10 years ago. It's, uh, it's, it's very much like my YouTube. It's just something that's gradually, because I've always been into the outdoors, you see. So um, it, it was only natural that I would start to incorporate landscapes into that. Um, when, when you were first able to, you know, let's say work with, with a brand for, for landscape photography or when you were approached about your photos and you kind of realized that, you know, this could be bigger than just snapping some shots on, you know, hikes and, and things with friends, like what, what was that transition like really really like scheduling out your trips and, and, and waking up real early and, and staying for sunset. And when you took it a little bit more serious again, very gradually, I remember buying a Canon 350D. So we're talking a long time ago now, probably 2005, 2006, maybe, uh, somewhere around that time. And, um, 
having a, a 350D. And I remember doing night photography underneath a bridge and the, the, it was a bridge crossing over a river and the river levels were really high. And because the river levels were so high, the arc of the bridge crossing over the river was reflected in the water perfectly. So you'd have this perfect circle and this fantastic glow from the city lights. So, you know, I've, I've never been shy of hard work and waking up early or staying out late. And I've always understood that that's what it takes to get these different kinds of images. So, um, again, it's very, it's very difficult for me to pinpoint, uh, you know, any kind of moment or an epiphany I had. Um, and it's a very, been a very gradual process, but I'd say if I was to really you know, specifically look at when I started doing landscapes purely and just forget about everything else. Yeah. Um, let's say 2000 and I want to say 2013, 2014, even though was, ironically I had a studio, so I was doing studio work and portraiture um, and products, but that was always very much a, a job. Yeah. I was still going out by myself after work to go and climb some mountain somewhere and shoot sunrise or sunset. So what does, what does your travel schedule look like now? It seems like you're all over the place. Yeah. My travel schedule has been crazy lately, especially this year. And the problem is I find it very difficult to say no. <laughs> so <laughs> somebody asked me to go somewhere. I'm like, Oh, I'm sure I could squeeze that in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's good. But the problem I have with it is, um, I, I find I find that I'm never in one place long enough to really get to know it, um, and that's really frustrating. So uh, this year, or sorry, next year, 2019, I actually want to travel less, but for longer periods. Nice. So I'm going to go to Patagonia again in 2019, but I'm going to stay out there for a month, which will give me much more time, rather than you know jumping from one location to the next location to the next location. I'll be able to revisit locations time after time and. You know, shoot. Hopefully, when the light is is at its best, rather than shooting on that day because that's the only day I have. I suppose that's the um, that's the crux of travel photography is you don't <laughs> have the luxury of um, being able to revisit locations. You get what you're given and you shoot it, and and that's that. And that's always bothered me. Yeah. Um, and then again, I'll go away in November next year to Nepal for another month. So I've got two month long trips next year. Beautiful. Do you do you have any places in 2018 that that really stood out to you when you were visiting? Uh, again, Patagonia is the first time that I'd been there, and um, it was phenomenal. But it was just like a taster. You know, I could see the potential, but struggled to really get anything. I was crazy happy about. Um, I probably arrived there about a week too late for the autumn colours. Um, but it was still, you know, it, it was still such a phenomenal place, friendly people, um, accessible landscapes that would just blow your mind. Um, so yeah, Patagonia definitely stood out to me as being one of the best locations that I've been to in 2018. When you're thinking about these videos before you put them out and you're putting out tutorials, do you kind of base a lot of that around things that you would find really helpful in, in certain situations or, or times when you really wished you knew something until you figured it out? Like how, how do you plan out those videos? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't plan my videos. <laughs> do you not watch my channel? <laughs> my videos are not planned at all. That's, um, and I wouldn't say I do tutorials, certainly not intentionally. I think I've done like 
maybe one or two tip videos. Um, but no, I, I go out and um, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. And I always just try and uh, entertain and create an inspirational video. And then I sort of drip feed little tips. Yeah. But I, I'm very careful. I never tell people what to do. I always just say what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So I was out last week. Um, had no idea what I was going to shoot and I had planned to visit this location um, and I took my camper van and I stayed in the van overnight at this location and I was all ready to shoot the next morning, woke up and the conditions were just terrible. So I quickly looked at a guidebook, which I had, and it told me of another location about a mile away, which was about three or 400 feet higher in elevation. And that meant that that location was in the clouds. It was in the mist, which, as you know, will transform a scene. So yeah. I jumped in the van 10 minutes until sunrise, drove about a mile down the road, came to this new area, which I had no idea about, like literally I'd never been to in my life, just walked blindly into the mist and got one of the best images I've probably ever taken. And you know, I'm filming it and I'm just dropping in drip feed and information. Like I, I shot uh, an image of some trees in the mist and I shot it at F5.6, whereas normally a landscape you would shoot F9, 10, 11 to get that depth of field. Yeah. But shooting in woodland um, and when it's misty, you don't want depth of field. You want the image to be soft. So I just briefly explained I'm shooting at a wider aperture because the, I want the fall off of focus um, so that all the trees disappear with the mist into the background and um, so it's kind of you know I, I never planned that um, it's just what I was doing you know my aim is always to get the best image and then I just shoot the video around the image and when you're when you're doing these these setups are you always on tripod for the most part in landscape photography oh yeah yeah, <laughs> very rare for me to shoot without a tripod. Uh, maybe maybe one in a thousand shots, I'll have to shoot off tripod for whatever reason. Usually because, um, yeah, usually if I, I don't know, uh, too windy or perhaps I'm incredibly rushed because this, the light is moving across the landscape and I'm just desperately trying to get the image. But no, it feels very very unusual and odd for me to shoot without a tripod. Um, it's just I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Um, even though it's like, you, know, you don't need to, the cameras these days, they're all really good. So you can shoot at high ISO and autofocus. But no, I, I like the craft. I like I like taking my time and adjusting my composition inch by inch and then uh, step back from the camera and just have a look at it and really contemplate the image and then shoot it. So a tripod helps massively with that thought process. Yeah. And, and when you're traveling, are you usually solo with, with these? I know you do some workshops and, and are involved in that. Is that the only time that you're with a bigger group? Yeah. Um, so this year I've done um, a few workshops, more than I intended. Again, it's just because opportunities open up. Um, so I wouldn't normally do as many workshops as I've done in 2018. Um, I think in 2019 I'm only going to do about three or four, and even that I think is too many. Um <laughs> But no, I'm I'm gonna. I, I in an ideal world, yes, I would like to travel alone and shoot alone as much as possible. I think that's when I'm best behind the camera or in front of the camera. It's it's when I get my best images because I'm so indecisive. And I think as a landscape photographer, you need room to be indecisive. Yeah. You need to you know walk backwards, walk forwards, think about a composition, then go somewhere else, then return back to that composition, look at it again. And that's difficult to do when you're with people um so yeah the workshops um 
that's uh, that's good. It's good in a way because it's a different way of working. I don't think I produce the best videos in my workshops because when I'm on workshops, I'm very much there to work with the group, um, and then I just whip out the camera and do a quick piece to camera, and then, and then um, that's the video. But when I'm by myself, I can put a lot more thought into it. Uh, so yeah, in an ideal world, I would like to travel and shoot always by myself, um, with the exception of the occasional collaboration that I've done. You know, there's uh, it is nice to share and experience uh, amazing places and situations with other people. So to do a collaboration with other YouTubers and photographers, I quite enjoy that. But for the vast majority of the time, yeah, I just want to travel by myself and work by myself. And I think you'd struggle to find a landscape photographer who says otherwise. Uh, it's a very solitary job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I know YouTube is, is obviously giant for you and, and that's where, you know, a lot of people have really found a lot of your work. How has Instagram either, you know, influenced your work or, or kind of helped, you know, put the Thomas Heaton voice out in the world? Oh yeah. Instagram is a funny one. I, um, I, I struggle to take Instagram seriously. Um, and I know it's a massive platform, but I just can't, I can't figure it out. I don't, um, <laughs> it I seems don't, like you uh, figured it out. No, yeah, it does. But I think all my followers have just come over from YouTube. Um, I, I, tell you, I use Instagram stories a lot. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's great because you can show behind the scenes stuff. You can show stuff that doesn't have anything to do with photography and you have a split second idea. It's like, Oh great. Let's send out an Instagram story. That's quite interesting. Um, but the actual, actual Instagram, um, I struggle to take seriously because uh, if you look at my feed, I probably upload maybe once a month, maybe once every three weeks. I don't know, something like that. And I've never, not not that making money is the be all and end all, but I've never monetized Instagram. I've never made a single penny from it. And I'm quite sure that all of my users go to Instagram from YouTube and not the other way around. So I, I don't, I don't really know. You know, if my Instagram account got deleted tomorrow, um, I really I wouldn't lose any sleep. Um, but I, I just, I think because, because of the small format and the, the whole nature of Instagram and the way that people just quickly look at your image and swipe past it, they're not connecting with it. I don't think, um, I almost find the whole Instagram culture a little bit hollow, um, and a bit shallow, but it's it's again it's because I'm I'm a cynic. If it was up to me, I'd force everybody into a gallery to look at work in print <laughs> rather than on a three inch phone screen. Yeah, no, um, exactly. So yeah, Instagram. Although although I uh, I massively respect it um, or respect the users of the platform, although not all of them, <laughs> but all the photographers I massively respect. Um, I just have a problem with the platform itself and I, I don't know what it is it's just uh, I don't know I struggle to take it seriously um, and that's in no in no way to insult um, or take any anything away from very successful photographers who you know who rose to fame on Instagram um, I just I think I have a problem with the whole sort of look at an image for two seconds and then swipe onto the next one um, whereas in my videos uh, I tell the story behind the image and then I, I sometimes hold the image on screen for maybe 10 or 20 seconds, which can feel like a lifetime on a video. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Instagram is something that I, I, I need to maybe look at more. Um, well, but, with, with YouTube, yeah. I, I love it because I feel like you really get to know somebody. 
And your fans are probably a lot more diehard because of that. And, and people, you know, they get to see the real you and then they get to see your shots and get to see the story and the journey. And Instagram is just so easy to get lost in that shuffle and that noise. And, you know, who knows, you know, when your photos are going to pop up, if they pop up. And it's just such a game to play. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. That's what it is. It's a game. Ah, oh, you've, you've done it. Now I know why I don't like it. Yeah. Okay. It's a, Instagram is... You have to very much, you know, there is there is a thing, a phenomenon called like an Instagram shot. I'm sure you'll know this. So people edit their images for Instagram. Right. You know, because they know that a, a particular style of editing will do well on Instagram. It's because it's vibrant and it's contrasty or something and, and it, it really pops. Like my most successful images on Instagram, the most viewed, they're the, you know, the vibrant sunsets and uh, the really, those images that really punch you in the face and they really pop but the images that i enjoy the most are the quiet images that you can contemplate over and that you never get bored of looking at um and those images just don't do well on instagram because they don't have you know photography the best photographs i've ever seen by some of the best photographers they're not an instant hit you know you have to look at them and come back to them come back to them and then you start to see things new and things different um and then you end up loving the images and it, and it never gets tired whereas instagram images the ones that do well are just they're they're great for a short period of time and then you kind of get sick of them a bit like eating too much chocolate cake i suppose <laughs> yeah um, and I it is a game. you do you, you have to play the game you yeah. do um an image, a standalone image isn't enough to do well on Instagram. You have to do all the stuff, all the, you know, there's all kinds of dodgy stuff going on on Instagram that people do. What it's doing for me is it's making me really appreciate physical work a lot more. Um, even with my own work, like next year, like that's a big goal for me. Do you, do you have any, I mean, I know you do a lot of printing on your own, right? And you're, you're selling prints through your site currently yes yeah uh when did you first start printing your work and and showing it and and selling it on on your website and also in person um oh, a long long time ago um you know very unsuccessfully uh, because uh, i didn't have any kind of following or or anything like that and uh, no credibility really in the industry um but i i've always printed my work and always tried to sell prints, not because I want to make money and not because I, I had any ambitions to make landscape photography in my full-time career. This is going back sort of eight, nine years ago. I just, I really appreciated the prints. And I thought for me, it would be the ultimate compliment if someone was to buy a print and want to hang it on their wall. That's, that's what, that's the, yeah, for me, that's what, what landscape photography is all about. That's the yeah. final stage. Um, so, yeah, like years and years and years ago, I, I, I the worst website ever. <laughs> HTML website is terrible. Yeah. I used to sell prints for like twenty pounds, not because I wanted to get rich, just because it would be the ultimate yeah. compliment. And I love the idea of a piece of work lasting forever, and which essentially a print should do. So, how did you go from from selling maybe just you know a few, a few prints a month or a year to to actually you know really getting your work out there? Uh, it's YouTube again, yeah it's the industry's changed massively now so you in order to be successful you need an audience or a following um well you don't need an audience or a following but you know you need to have people to sell to so you can go to art fairs and art shows uh, which is a great way of selling your work 
Um, or you can do it the other way, which is the way I do it. I just sell mine all online. So nobody actually sees, gets to see the physical print until it's shipped and delivered to them. Um, so yeah, if it wasn't for my, uh, following on YouTube, then I, I wouldn't probably wouldn't sell too many prints. Um, and if I did, I would go down to a local market, uh, rent a stand and sell them that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, um, I think the reason they sell, they don't sell that well. I don't promote them really. Um, there is, you can go to my website and you can find them, but I, I've, I don't think I've ever pushed prints. Um, but I think people have a connection with the image. They saw how it was made and what I went to, through to create the image. And then a lot of people like to either support my channel or they just, they just connect with the story behind the image in some, some way. And then they want to own a tangible physical print. Yeah. Uh, going back to YouTube real quick, I wanted to ask you, you, you do about two to three videos a week, it seems. How how scheduled out and, and regimented is your, you know, your YouTube schedule and planning? Do you have it like to the T every other day when it comes to your shooting and editing? How does that look? No, no, I'm, I'm just terrible. I'm so bad. If you could see my office now, <laughs> I'm surrounded by like half empty cups of coffee and I've got my dinner plate. And actually, as I'm talking to you now, I'm, I've just uploaded my video, which is due to go live in 19 minutes Perfect. and I've still not filled in all the information, the cards and the end screen. Um, so no, I, I'm just, the problem is with landscape photography, if it was studio photography, it would be different because you, you, you can control everything, right? But landscape photography, you can't control a single thing. It's really annoying. So I, um, when's this podcast going out? <laughs> uh, early January. All right, fine. Great. I've got a Nikon D850 at the minute. Uh, I shoot with a Canon, but I borrowed a D850. Um, and the plan was to use it all week and go out and shoot every day or every other day and really get to use the camera and test it and see if it's going to be my next camera. Yeah. Um, it's just been absolutely hampered by the weather because yesterday a storm blew in and right now it's blowing about 30 or 40 mile an hour winds and it's raining so i can't go out so i can't shoot content which means next week i'll be behind on content so my youtube scheduling is <laughs> very ad hoc uh, i have good weeks and bad weeks sometimes i'll build up a buffer of maybe three or four videos and then other times i will literally wake up shoot a video go home edit the video and upload it at five minutes before it's scheduled to go live so yeah, it's uh, it's not easy, but that's uh, it's just the nature of the beast. <laughs> yeah. So how how do you stay inspired constantly? Like, do you ever have moments in and out of it, or or, or is it always on? Oh, it's it's never. It's, you know, summertime is the worst because um, I, I summertime for me is it's bad for photography because sun rises at four in the morning, sunsets at ten o'clock at night. Yeah. Everything's green, overgrown. <laughs> busy with tourists and um, so from july through to september is a real chore and in fact i can't I'm contemplating just taking those months off um although i say that every year but i probably never will yeah. so i'm very, very uninspired during the summertime but then winter comes around and all of a sudden i'm excited to go out and shoot um because you've got autumn you've got winter and um, so you get snow and ice and frost so it's yeah, I never lose motivation apart from during the summer months. And where where are you living right now? Where are you Where are you at? 
I live in the northeast of England, so um, it's a nice area. But um, I don't shoot often locally. Just you know, I suffer from that curse that everybody suffers from, where they never shoot in their own backyard. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm very, you know, we're very lucky in the UK that everything's relatively close by, and you can, you know, shoot mountains you can shoot the seascape you can shoot open meadows and marshlands everything's within a relatively short distance um, so having having a camper van and just being able to rock up and sleep out for a couple of days without worrying about accommodation or bad weather destroying any kind of camping trip um is a big help yeah i love your camper van what was that a uh, a purchase to just you know be able to travel and shoot in yeah, but uh, both, yeah. <laughs> both. I always wanted a camper van, always. So, but the problem is, is they're very expensive, and not only are they very expensive, but really, you have to be able to justify having one. If I'd have had a camper van four years ago or three years ago, then it probably would have been used like three times a year or something. But now I use it like every week, um, and it is. It's just I can just, you know pop out somewhere you know sometimes you want to shoot you want to be on location first light and that either means waking up at two or three in the morning and driving for two hours or you can just drive down the day before have some food maybe read a book and you can wake up on the doorstep of where you want to shoot it's fantastic yeah Uh, i hear i got a question for you if you went back and could talk to your 25 year old self what kind of conversation would that be oh (laughs) that's a very good one um i don't know i i'm not i'd probably just try and encourage myself to not worry as much because most things work out in the end um but in terms of like a life plan and and, you know if if i could do anything differently i'd say that i wouldn't do anything differently i'd i dread to think what my YouTube channel would be like if I found success at 21 rather than 31. (laughs) Because I think, I think when you, because I got into the YouTube game relatively late, um, you know, you see a lot of big YouTube channels with 19, 20, 21 year olds, 22 year olds, and they all, they all flex and, you know, I don't know, whatever. A lot of them are idiots, uh, um, as I'm sure most people are aware. Not everyone, obviously, and, and certainly no photographers, but, you know, you, you Jake Balls and whatnot. Um, so having uh, worked every day since I was 16 and, and having had no money for the best part of my 20s and having really had to hustle and grind to 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 make it, um, and then finding success in my 30s means I'm very well grounded. You know, I can honestly say that having this YouTube channel and, and being paid to travel the world and, and being paid to do what I love and getting recognized in the street and all of this success that comes with having a, a relatively big channel, it hasn't changed me in any way, shape or form. I don't have any ego. I don't think I'm any better than anyone else. I don't even think um that i'm that good of a photographer i mean god i was trying to do luminosity masking today and i nearly threw my computer out the window <laughs> and, and the images look terrible they look awful so you know i i have a lot to learn but i think be, yeah if i'd have if i'd have if i was 24 or 25 and had the success then it'd be different I'd, maybe I'd, I'd be more arrogant maybe i'd be more have more of an ego maybe i'd go out and buy a stupidly fast car rather than investing in a camper van and a new camera lens or something um so i'm more sensible and more grounded um so yeah i probably wouldn't change much um 
yeah, I think I think I, I, I was quite fortunate in the way that it happened. Yeah, well, you know, I feel like you're in a a very unique position, just how and how the world is right now, where where you kind of are like a digital mentor. You know, like you are that mentor to a ton of people and a ton of kids that are not going to go to school for photography because they have people like you to kind of look up to and, and follow and, and learn things from. And that's, you know, that's how I learn. Like I'm, I'm 28 and I'm self-taught, but you know, at least the last five years, like I've learned from that style as well. And it, it's important and and to have the, you know, the, the tools to be able to do it like you can on, you know, a weekly basis is, is gigantic. And I'm sure sometimes those videos are tough to, to put out and, and you wake up that morning, like you said, and you're like, I got to put it out today and tonight and got to do it in 24 hours. But that drive is, is what keeps you going. And I think you do a beautiful job at it. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, very, very kind of you to say. And it is quite, it's quite daunting when I think about, yeah, the the responsibility that I have in a weird kind of way. Maybe it sounds quite arrogant, but um, it's true that people really take on board what I say. Um, and uh, yeah, people might choose to not go to college just because they, you know, they've seen a different way, which yeah. I would also advise rather than spend your money on education in, in a college system, spend your money on better gear, gear and yeah. more travel and more experiences and learn. There's a different way of learning now than it was 20 years ago. I think it's really good how the industry's changed. Yeah. Awesome. So what's next for, uh, for Thomas Heaton? What's, what's next year look like other than the longer, uh, longer trips I know. Okay. Well, I, um, I've, I'm, I may be buying a new camera, which is a big deal because um, it's basically the whole camera industry is just crazy at the minute. I mean, it's great. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. You yeah. know, we're very lucky to have all of this choice, but I haven't got a clue what what camera to buy. So I thought it'd be interesting to make a list of the cameras I would consider buying and then see if I can get my hands on them to try out. Because this is a good thing about you know what you do and what I do is that um, – camera manufacturers and companies will happily lend us gear to try yeah because it's exposure for them so i'm basically borrowing a load of cameras over the next month or two and then i'm gonna possibly not definitely but possibly buy one and change the whole system and that worries me as well i remember once i bought some new filters and somebody sent me it sent me a really angry email that they just invested hundreds of pounds in one filter system and then in the next video I bought a new filter system <laughs> and it goes back to the whole responsibility thing. Yeah. So, um, I, I use a Canon 5D Mark IV at the minute, but you know, who knows what I'll be using after Christmas. Um, I guess we'll find out, but it's, people are crazy and yeah, they will well, get upset. Yeah, they will. You're, uh, but you're in the same position too, where you want to experience, you know, gear on your own and hands on. So you need to, you need to try out as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's a big decision. You know, it's a lot of money and um, it will no doubt influence a lot of other people's decisions. So that's the next big thing that's happening for me. And because I'm not a very gear centric channel, it's going to be quite interesting because I don't really review gear. I don't know what I'm talking about, if I'm honest. Yeah. That's why I pay so much for cameras. Because <laughs> they just work. Um, but no, like I say, I have a Nikon D850 and i um, hopefully getting a Fujifilm GFX and maybe even get a Sony and uh, maybe the new Panasonic and uh, some other cameras that look quite good and yes. make a decision from there. So for me, that's quite a big deal. Yeah, no, um, it's a huge deal. 
That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to see what you choose, and I can't wait to see uh, to see what next year brings. I'm excited for it. All right, yeah, me too. And uh, I have no idea, no plans. I'm not yeah. not a big one for strat- strategies. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, we'll see what happens. Can you can you let people know real quick uh, how to find you website and YouTube and Instagram if you'd like? Yeah, no, absolutely. I am. I'm going to get better at Instagram. I am. Um, so yeah, you can go to Thomas Heaton dot co dot uk which is my website and from there you can you know find everything else as little icons from a social media um or you can just go to youtube and type in thomas heaton and my channel should pop up top um it's all landscape photography based uh, the vast majority anyway beautiful thomas thank you so much man i really appreciate the call no problem thank you for having me um yeah it's been good it's been good nice chat That'll do it, guys. I had a blast talking with Thomas. The website is thomasheaton.co.uk, thomasheaton.co.uk, if that makes more sense. Uh, And his Instagram, at Thomas Heaton, YouTube, Thomas Heaton. You get the gist. It's all Thomas Heaton. And we are at Darkroom. And thanks, guys. I appreciate you. And we will see you all next week.